This is a the message today is a vitally important subject. Vitally important. It's the importance of what I'm going to say in the next 30 minutes cannot be overstated. And I don't say that every time. I may say it every third or fourth time. I don't say it every time. This is a, a life-changing subject. I've preached on this subject twice before. Probably should preach on it. Really, should preach on this every every other year at, at the least, but I don't. Take your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 22. Real familiar story, but I'm only taking one section of it. Not going over the whole story, really. But briefly, Abraham had been promised the land of Palestine. He had been promised that God would be his keeper. We call that theocracy. God would be his leader, help him. And he was promised a seed. So land, seed, and theocracy. That was the promise of Abraham. God said, I'll give you land. I'll give you this land. I'll give you a seed. Look up in the stars if you can count them. It'll be more than the stars of heaven. And I'm going to give, I'm going to be your God. You'll be my son. It doesn't get better than that. And he uh, told him he was going to raise him up. He did, however, you know, Abraham didn't have any children. So, you know, 89 years old, his wife was, and he was 99. The angel came by and said, you're going to have a child. I mean, Sarah laughed, but it was, it was, it was crazy. You know, she was way past her time of having children. And, uh, you know, it was past, really somewhat past his time. And God gave him a child, as you know, his name was Isaac. This became a dear, 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 his only, his only child. I only had one child. And so you, you have all your affection on one child, all your hopes, really, on one child. And then God asked him to sacrifice him. And here's what God said after he passed that test. And most of you know that he passed that test. He said in uh, Genesis 22:15 through 18. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn unto the, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying, multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his, unto his young man, and they rose and went together to Beersheba. We'll get back to that. The title of this this morning is The Beauty of Possessing Nothing. The beauty of possessing nothing. Going back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had all things to enjoy and possess. They were given the entire earth, dominion over it, dominion over all the animals, everything. They were given everything. You can have it all. The garden, of course, you know, the specific garden he was put in. He was told he was to take care of it. And there were just two trees that he couldn't have anything to do with. Leave those two trees alone. Everything else you can have, it's yours. They had full possession. 
It was made by God to perfectly fit them and for them to possess. God gave, them, God gave Adam authority over everything. He instructed them to take care of it, and everything was good. Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and the fowl of the air, and every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God gave them all of that. A.W. Tozer wrote a book called The Pursuit of God, commentary on some of these areas that I've read and really enjoy, and a lot of, some of, some of what I say today is to his credit. He said in Genesis' account of creation, these, these things which you were given are called simply things. All that God gave Adam and Eve were just things. They were made for man's uses. And they were meant always to be external to the man and subservient to him. In the deep heart of man was a shrine where none but God was worthy to come. Within him was God, without a thousand gifts which God had showered upon him. That's a quote by A.W. Tozer. I couldn't say it any better. What happened in the fall? God was removed off the throne of Adam's heart, and Adam was put on that throne. He put himself on the throne, and we call it self-love. The self is an enemy of of you as a born-again believer. So what was meant for good of man now became a nemesis. The things that God gave to man when, when God was on his throne were subservient to him. But now they became God to him. The throne of man became occupied with a greedy demon called possession and covetousness. By the way, you may not know this. One of the most mentioned sins in the New Testament is covetousness. The God of materialism was born and wasn't going to go away anytime soon. This God of materialism aims to win in your life, plans to stay in your life. He is tenacious and determined to keep his throne. The Christian in principle has been reborn once you get born from above and in some degree brought back to the state of Adam, but not exactly. Because you have not, you still have your old nature as a born-again believer and then we have the new nature. So we have a new nature given to us by the Holy Spirit's coming in called new birth, but we still have the old nature. And so... There's a dualistic type of a life that we live as born-again Christians before we go to heaven. We're born again, and yet at the same time, we have this old nature we can go back on and rely on, and we do too many times. We have a choice now as born-again believers. The world does not have a choice, but we have a choice. We born-again believers have a choice of who will sit on the throne of our lives. 
before the fall, Adam knew nothing else but God as his master and Lord. He knew nothing of greed. He knew nothing of covetousness. He knew nothing of materialism. He, he knew nothing of the power of possessions, though he owned it all. It was only after the fall that this, hor- this was horribly realized, this difference was realized by him. And I know in this room, we know the horrors of not having God on the throne of our lives before we were saved, and often while we're saved. We know the power of things. We know the power of possessions. But now what? As a born-again believer, how do we handle this? Well, there's a battle. Jesus calls us to put him on the throne of our hearts when we're saved, right? Make him number one. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus said, And when he had called the people unto him, the disciples, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whosoever will save his life will lose it. That's strange. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Now, now Jesus is not telling you to kill yourself. And then a statement in Mark 8.36 that knocks my socks off. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? This war that is set up in every born-again believer now is a war of self versus God. Those who really want to know God, enjoy him and what he offers, all of us must go this same path, this same battle. We must decide to die to this greedy monster called self. We must, at least in spirit, die to possessions. We must die to materialism as the reason for living. The world, their reason for living is to gather things together, to have things. And it can be, it can be non-material things like looks or fame. But they want for themselves. God's not on their throne. But the born-again believer is to put Jesus on the throne of his heart as number one. In essence, lose his life here as far as this materialistic, greedy monster is concerned. Now, when you begin to, when you put Jesus number one in your life and the only thing, the only reason you're living, I'm not talking about full-time Christian service people because I believe everybody that's born again is full-time. I do not believe the Bible teaches the difference between the secular and the sacred to the believer. It's all sacred. Once I became a, a child of God, once I gave him my heart, and, I, and by the grace of God, there was a time in my life that he was not on the throne of my life. He was not the reason for me to live. And I had to, I remember the time when I got down on my knees and was broken and said, God, I put you on the, you put, I put you on my throne of my heart. I give my life, whatever that may mean, to you. I'm not going to live for houses and lands. I'm not going to live for money possessions. That doesn't mean you're not going to have them, but they're not going to be why you live. They're not going to be why you move, why you do what you do. Oh, this monster will cry. 
moan, weep, beg, reason with you, scream, scratch, and howl. He will not, this materialistic monster will not die easily, and he will not give up easily. It will feel as if you are physically going to die when you make Jesus the head of your life. It will be painful to the flesh. It will be agonizing to the flesh. It will be fearful to the flesh. You'll think you're losing something of high value. Matthew 19, 29, for a while we had it up in the hallway there. Jesus' words, and everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. You can fight all you want, but those are his words. Who are these people who he's talking about in that verse? These folks forsook everything of world's values which they never could keep. And what's funny about it is when God asks you to put him on the throne of your life and forsake all the world has to offer you, the world and what it offers you, you can't keep it. How many understand in this room you're going to die someday? Those who didn't raise their hand, either you're sleeping or you need to come talk to me. Maybe better yet, talk to Dr. Bailey. <laughs> the Christian keeps all he forsakes. The world loses all they possess. There's a man said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This is what it means to know God, to obey God, to serve God. It's putting him on the throne of our life where he belongs, but he will not force himself to be number one in your life. He will not put himself on the throne of your heart. You have to put him there. You have to say yes to him. He'll not force himself upon you. Now let's go to our text. That was introduction. If you're scared, don't be scared. In our introduction, I brought you to the place of baby being able to get a grip on what happened to Abraham. What this whole thing of Abraham sacrificing Isaac was just really all about. Why was Abraham considered one of the great, and why is he considered, and why was he, and why is he, and why will he be considered one of the greatest people of the Old Testament? Maybe Moses is above him, but it's Abraham and Moses, any way you look at it. Why is Abraham so great? He was a Syrian. He was a sheep herder. He was a nobody. Or was he? Could have been different had Abraham not obeyed God. Because when God told him he could have the land, the seed, and the theocracy, was he worthy of that? Well, God doesn't give you something. He doesn't test you. He's going to test you to see if it's real or not. He tested him. Told his wife he's having a child. Like I said, the child was born, Isaac. She was 90. He was 100. 
People say to me, because I only had one child, they said, Bill, are you scared? You only had one child? I'm not scared if there's a God. I'm not scared that if God's in control. Having one is, is just as safe as having a hundred, if, if, it's, if it's God. Something happened to Abraham that happens to all of us. What was meant for good is perverted into being harmful. Isaac was given to Abraham and Sarah as, as a gift, something good, something God was going to bless them through and give them the land he talked about and, and multiply the seed he talked about and, and be their God as he talked about. It, it, was, it was a good thing. What was to be added to Abraham's life soon became his possession. Remember the title, it's the beauty of possessing nothing. A.W. Tozer said that. He said, Abraham became the eager love slave of his son. I've seen people put their children where only God should be. Oh, I'm hitting on a good subject there. Abraham was being led by his nature to replace God with Isaac on the throne of his heart. And God could not live with that and will not live with that. And so he told him in Genesis 22, 2, he says, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, and he emphasized that, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee. I didn't know God believed in human sacrifice. In fact, as far as I know, the Bible teaches against human sacrifice. And here God tells Abraham, I want you to take him to Mount Moriah, and I want you to burn offering means I want you to kill your son as an offering to me. Now think of the confusion that must have entered into Abraham. Think, think, think of the struggle that he must have gone through the night before. The night before he's ready to go up now, he finally made it. It was a three-day journey. He made it to Mount Moriah. He's got his boy there. He's not telling his boy what's going on. He's not telling the servants what's going on. They want to know, where's the sacrifice? Where's the sacrifice? I got the wood. I got the fire. Where's the sacrifice? So God will provide himself a sacrifice. Oh, my, that was talking about Jesus. The night before, Abraham wrestled with God. No doubt, in my mind, he had to wrestle with God. Isaac was the most precious thing in his life. And God said to sacrifice him. Abraham had to wrestle around that and he put his mind around that and he said, and eventually decided to kill his son, the son of his promise, the son of his old age. Now, Abraham wasn't thinking correctly on this when he thought he was going to have to kill Isaac, but he was willing to kill Isaac. He did not realize that God was never wanted to kill Isaac. He wanted to take Isaac off the throne of Abraham's heart. You want your children to have a safe, happy life? By the grace of God, one way is to take them from being your idol and put Jesus where they have been. 
So it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, which we would never know without the, without the New Testament, he said, Abraham, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from hence he received him in a figure. He decided that God that night before he went up to Mount Moriah to sacrifice Isaac, he decided he was going to do it. He was going to follow through with it. It was real. He didn't know God was going to intercede. We know, but he did not know. And even God didn't stop him until he raised the knife to cut his juggler vein that the angels stop him. At the last minute, I always say, God will let your ten toes hang off the surfboard before he lets you know he's there. And he decided to put God as number one. Oh, the only other night that someone wrestled like that was in Gethsemane. When Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. That decision that Abraham made that night is the only reason you know his name. It's the only reason you know his name. It's because he was willing to give everything to God. The old flesh and the devil and the world are saying, don't do it. Don't make God number one. You'll lose everything. The devil's a liar. The father of it. The Bible says, and I believe it is Romans 4, Abraham became the father of all the belief. You would not have known his name. And you would not know he ever lived had he not been willing to give Isaac up and put God on the throne. And let me tell you this, you're never going to do much for God or be used of God or be worthy to be used of God or to qualify to be used of God unless he's number one. And I know it's a scary, I know how scary it is. I went through every born-again believer where God is number one on their heart had to go through something like this. You're not going to figure. You're not going to figure God out. It's only when you look back will you really understand why God does what He does. God never intended Abraham to slay his son. He only wanted to establish His place in Abraham's heart. He only wanted to keep it straight. He only wanted to keep the order straight for Abraham's benefit, for Isaac's benefit. So Abraham could have the land, seed, and theocracy that was promised him. Because God will not put up with idolatry. What's the first commandment? Ten commandments. What's the first? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's not because he wants to be number one. It's because in the in the truth of the universe, he is number one. He's trying to have you recognize the truth that he is number one. That's all. And once you recognize the truth that God is really number one, then he can entrust you with things. He can shower things upon you. He can shower money upon you. He can shower possessions upon you. 
but they'll never become number one. They'll just be part of the tools that he's given you to use in glorifying him as number one. In essence, there can only be one captain on a ship. Right, Captain? There can only be one captain. You can't have two captains of a ship. You've got to have just one captain. And God knows that, and it's the truth of the universe. There can only be one in authority. You don't have a fit. There's no such thing as a 50-50 marriage. There has to be a leader. Either the woman's a leader or the man's a leader, but there's no 50-50. Somebody's going to be the leader. Or the kids could be the leader. I've seen that also. Making the decisions for their mom and dad. But there can be only one king. After this event, Abraham went on to live. Sarah died while, after a little while. And, but he went on to live 175 years old. Grew much richer and greater in possessions and material goods. But he possessed nothing. Don't leave without that. The sacrifice of Isaac was Abraham's vow of poverty. You've heard me talk about that a little bit. There came a time in my life, like Abraham, I had to say, I take a vow of poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What do you think that means? They have nothing but God, which is everything. You keep what God would have you to have. Nothing owned Abraham. Nothing possessed Abraham but God. Dear one, here this morning, be possessed by nothing but God. That's what Jesus, when he's saying, when he said there, he would lose his life, shall find it. Your work will have a whole new meaning. Your reason for getting up in the morning will have a whole new meaning, a whole new trust. You're, you'll get up as a Bill, Bill and sweet, sweet Bill Sikora said, we get up in the morning and we say, God, what do you want for us today? I like that. What exciting thing are we going to do for you today? We're going to pass a track out for you today. We're going to be able to share the gospel with somebody today. You say that if you're in real estate. You say that if you're in floor covering. You say that if you're an electrician. You say that if you're a policeman. You say that if you're a plumber. You say that if you're a painter. You say that if you're a politician, yes, there actually can be saved politicians. That's what Jesus meant when he said, take my yoke upon you, that it's my burden is light, but there is a yoke. But the yoke that Jesus gives you to bear is lighter than the world gives you to bear because the world says, 
spend your energy, spend your life, spend your resources to gain, to gain, to get, to have, to possess, to whether it be, you know, authority or whether it be fame or whether, whatever it is. And then you got to give it up. Hugh Hefner gave everything he had up. Steve Jobs gave everything he had up. Here's what's horrible about that. When they go to the other side, they, they realize they've lost everything. The burden, the yoke of the world is heavy. But the yoke of Jesus is light. The burden that Jesus has is to serve him, to give him number one place in your life. And then you serve him your whole life and realize the things that you valued and the things you've done, they've been sent ahead. You put your treasure where the moth doesn't go and where the thieves don't go and where the rust doesn't go and that your treasure is laid up in heaven. And one thing you'll find, you'll find rest for your souls. Oh, how little rest there is today, amen? How little rest there is in our country. What do we have in our country? Unrest, right? You have unrest getting bigger and bigger, by the way. More and more unrest. We're the richest country, possibly the richest country in the world. We're maybe the most powerful country in the world, and yet you won't find more unrest in America. What's that prove? Things do not give people peace, and they do not give people rest. Only in giving Jesus number one place in your life will you get peace and will you get rest. And I mean it's a deep rest. It's a sweet rest. When the doctor tells you you got cancer, you still have rest. You still, nothing can strip you of your rest. It's beautiful. The economy can collapse. The world can go to war, and you'll still have rest, and you'll still have peace. Why? Because God's number one. It can't be shaken. You'll find rest to your souls. And by the way, if I may finish with this, when you make Jesus number one over everything in your life, you don't go to church, by the way. When Jesus is number one, you don't go to church because you have to go to church. You get to go to church. You get to go. You want to go. You want to read your Bible. You're not nagged to read your Bible. You're eager to read your Bible. That's when Jesus is number one. Help you have a little barometer. It's then and only then that you can be trusted with the material possessions that God has. Who's made all this stuff anyway? He has. And he can shower you with material possessions for other people's benefits and for the benefit of the cause of Christ, and they won't stick to you. It won't stick to you. And you'll understand the beauty of possessing nothing. Beautiful. Let's pray. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. 
that you'd do a great mighty thing which we know not. That you'd cause the heart of some of these folks to put you at number one. Not lie to themselves or deceive themselves or con themselves, but to honestly and really put you as a reason for living above their children above their houses and lands, above their jobs, above everything. And say, God, you got me. I'm yours. I will, I will lose my life in this world so that I could find it. Dear one, is God doing that in your heart now? Has that been going on? Because Holy Spirit won't let, won't, let this, won't let this rest. Because he knows you cannot be the complete person you're to be unless you make this decision. With every head bowed, nobody looking around. I don't do this very often. You say, Pastor Bill, I raise my hand unto God. I say, you're number one in my life, Lord Jesus. I give you everything. You're number one. Raise your hand if that's true. God bless your hands throughout the entire auditorium. I'm not looking who. I'm not looking. You can put your hand down. I'm not looking who. I'm not taking names. I'm not. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here to save you from wasting your life. I'm here to watch for your souls this morning. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, then you haven't even begun to understand what I've spoken about. But without Christ, you'll someday face him, having rejected him and have to answer for your own sins. You'll not be able to answer for your own sins. You have to be cast into a place away from God called the lake of fire. Having heard the gospel in a gospel-preaching church, What a horror that would be. Don't leave here without Christ. If you want to know more about it, you come to us. Let us talk to you about it. Born again, Christian, go home this week. Meditate on this. Ask God to show you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com. Or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church, Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.